This episode contains some explicit language and, in particular, some extreme examples of misogyny in rap music. Listener discretion is advised. I want to let everyone know that there's extra information and pictures available on the Instagram account, Anatomy of a Verse. Also, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Anatomy of a Verse or send me an email, anatomyofaverse at gmail.com. Thanks. Here's a little story that must be told. It's a music that is all beat and talk. It's rap music. We don't do that in my music, man. I'm tired of you saying that. Yeah, how about the gang rape on you? But when it comes to the children, Wu-Tang is for the children. You had a a rap singer here last night named Sister Soldier. And they've given them permission to go down and shoot us. It's not actually a form of music, it's a, it's a form of rhythmic speed. You have murdered a rock, I injured a stone, and a hospital lies a brick. I'm so bad I make medicine sick. Welcome to Anatomy of a Verse, the podcast that examines rap music and hip-hop culture one verse at a time. Today's episode is about J. Cole's second verse from his 2009 song, Lights, please. please. Lights, please. Lights, please. Turn off the lights. For now, everything just seems so right. And how you make the darkness seem so bright. I'm feeling like things gonna be alright. Over the last decade or so, J. Cole has earned a reputation for rapping about the complexities of relationships between men and women, especially in the black community. There are a bunch of songs I could have picked for this episode. But I decided to go with Lights, Please because, for one, it's the song that got him his record deal with Rock Nation, but also because it was written during a time when a rap song about male and female power dynamics was not considered profitable or mainstream at all. We're going to do something a little bit different for this episode, and we're going to begin by playing the entire first verse of the song so that you can get a feel for the structure and the story. After that, we'll start picking apart the second verse. Here we go. Yeah, I had this little bad thing, something like them tens. She gave a nigga mad brain, something like the whiz. But you see the sad thing, fucking with her is, is the chick ain't even had brains, dummy like a bitch. So I try to show her about the world and about just who we really are. And where we've come and how we still have to go really far. Like, baby, look at how we live broke on the boulevard. But all she ever want me to do is unhook a bra. Then all I really want is for her to go down low. Before you know it, she wet enough to get drowned slow. And all that deep shit I was previously down for. Replaced by freak shit I am currently down for. You see, I peeped it, pussy is power. That proud feeling we get knowing that pussy is ours. And how it feels to feel that feeling you feeling when you be drilling that shit. Gotta saying you be killing that shit. And all the pain the world cause, she be healing that shit. And all that ain't your girl, dog, but you be feeling that shit. And you just wanna tell her everything she might need. But in the meantime, it's lights, please. Lights, please. Lights, please. Turn off the lights. On the surface, this is a song about a woman who is very attractive, but also very shallow and very stupid. And throughout the song, Cole keeps trying to talk to her about racial inequality in America. But all she wants to do is have sex. If you were listening closely, you might have noticed that Cole used the story as an opportunity to hit on some general real-world topics, 
like the racial wealth gap and the male perception of female sexuality as being threatening. Now the second verse is very similar to the first, both in structure and in subject material. It begins with Cole and the nameless woman in a hotel room. Without getting into specifics, a mirrored ceiling in a hotel room usually means that sexual activity is expected and encouraged. So Cole's lover suggests they smoke an L to get in the mood. The only problem here is that Cole is a lightweight. And as soon as he takes a hit, he goes back to obsessing about social structures and inequality. I told her all about how we've been living a lie And that they love to see us all go to prison or die Like baby look at how they show us on the TV screen But all she ever want me to do is unzip a jeans There's a lot to unpack in these lines. J. Cole may be high off his rocker, but he's not imagining things here. There have been several studies showing that television networks and the media as a whole overrepresent African Americans as criminals, welfare recipients, or as members of broken or dysfunctional families, while simultaneously underrepresenting white Americans in these same roles. And these differences in representation have had real consequences for American neighborhoods, schools, and perhaps most of all, prisons. In 2009, when this song was released, Black and Latino Americans were incarcerated at a rate of over six times that of white Americans. And for what it's worth, that number has not moved by much since then. Also, African Americans are six times more likely to be the victim of a homicide and seven times more likely to commit a homicide than white Americans. So when Cole says they love to see us all go to prison or die, with they referring to the criminal justice system and the media, and us referring to black people in America, he's not talking nonsense by any stretch. And furthermore, he's saying that to feel any way about this other than completely enraged would be essentially to live a lie. Okay, let's continue. But all she ever want me to do is unzip her jeans Then all I really want is for her to get on top Before you know it, she working, jerking it non-stop And all that next shit I was previously talking Is now that wet shit that I'm currently lost in Once again, just like in the first verse, Cole finds himself overcome by sexual desire. And all that next shit, like his anger at the system and his dreams of progress, has now taken a backseat to meaningless sexual gratification. Now that wet shit that I'm currently lost in And why that sweat drip I am reminded All the times my brother told me that pussy is blinded I'm finding the more I grow the more y'all seem to stay the same Don't even know the rules but yet y'all trying to play the game and ain't Like in the first verse, he views the woman's sexuality as ultimately a distraction from more important things in life. But the two lines that follow seem to begin a new and very different train of thought. He says, I'm finding the more I grow, the more y'all seem to stay the same. Don't even know the rules, but yet y'all trying to play the game. But it's unclear who exactly he's criticizing here. So let's listen on. 
but yet y'all trying to play the game and ain't it shameful how niggas blame hoes for giving birth to a baby that took two to make coward nigga you a fake how you gonna look in your son's face and turn your back they gonna start another family dog what type of shit is that cole is clearly still high as a kite and as is common under the influence of marijuana his brain has darted off to a new subject He's not thinking anymore about the sexual power that women wield. Now, he's thinking about men younger than him who often resent their girlfriends for not getting abortions. Men who are unable to bear the responsibilities that come with being a father. And I should mention that this is personal for J. Cole, who did not grow up having a close relationship with his father. Here he is in a 2013 interview with the Wall Street Journal explaining how very few of his friends grew up with their fathers. And some of my friends, but yeah, it was like mystery figures growing up. It's like, when I got, I didn't realize it until I got older, but looking back, it was like, yo, it's just something you never even brought up. Like, nobody ever talked about their fathers. We didn't really ask questions. It was just like, it was just an understanding that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, your pops ain't there, my pops ain't there. His ain't, you know, it's like, it was a rare thing to find one of my friends that actually had a, a father. So it makes sense that he would get so worked up while talking about this. Let's listen on to find out how the woman responds. They gon' start another family dog, what type of shit is that? She said it's okay, rubbed my head and told me to relax. Laid a nigga down proper like she was recording tracks. Said I know you wanna change the world, but for the night please. Just reach over and hit the lights please. Lights please, lights please. Turn off the lights, for now everything just seems so right. And in these last four bars, sensing that Cole is getting angry and overheated, the woman rubs his head, tells him to relax, and lays him down proper. There are two ways to interpret this. Number one, the woman is massaging Cole sexually and turning off the lights so they can once again get busy. But number two is that the woman is taking on a motherly role, comforting him and turning off the lights so that he can go to sleep. We'll come back to this idea later, but for now, we can think of the verse as being in two halves. In the first half, Cole is frustrated with the woman's inability to share his perspectives and his emotions. He sees her as an enemy, not just because she doesn't care about social justice issues, but because she's distracting and even corrupting him with her sexuality. In the second half, Cole appreciates that the woman has a different perspective. He appreciates that, instead of feeding into his anger, she provides him with love and tenderness. In this half, he sees men as the enemy for exploiting women and in turn feeding the problems that he's been talking about throughout the song. Now, we could end the episode there and call it a day. But there's one little thing that we haven't addressed yet. Here's J. Cole from an interview with Hard Knock TV. The first time somebody, the same show you interviewed me at was the first time somebody ever came up to me. It was like, yo, J. Cole. He was like, yo, I'm a big fan. Yo, I got to ask you something. Is Lights Please really a double meaning? And like, the girl is really hip hop and you're trying to like blah, blah, blah. Yo, when he told me that shit, I freaked out. Like, it was almost like, yo, like you're not even supposed to get that or look that deep. You know what I mean? That's right. The woman in this song can also be seen as a metaphor for hip-hop music and hip-hop culture. So we're going to go back and reanalyze the verse 
And this time, we're going to think about the woman as representing hip-hop. And when we do that, we're going to realize that J. Cole's feelings towards his girlfriend directly contradict his vision for the future of hip-hop music. If this is confusing, don't worry. Just know for now that it's 100% intentional. Like I said earlier, in the 11 years since this song came out, J. Cole has built an incredible career, in part on being able to dive deep into the duality of gender perceptions in hip-hop music. But before we return to the song, we should first take a moment to talk about rap music's unfortunate history of misogyny and sexism. And we're going to do this by going back to 1986. If you remember from our first episode, the late 1980s was a period of dramatic change for hip-hop music because that was when record labels started getting involved and people started making a lot of money. And at least one of the things that seemed to make a lot of money, at least some of the time, was shocking lyrical content that often glorified rape or sexual violence towards women. Here's one of the earliest examples from the Miami group Two Live Crew. And my homies like to play this game. We call it Amtrak, but some call it the train. We all would line up in a single file line and take our turns at waxing girls behind. But every time it came to me, I was shit out of luck because I stick my dick in and it would get stuck. The girls would say stop. Now, I should stress that this wasn't unique to rap music. Around the same time, Tipper Gore, wife of then-Senator Al Gore, was leading a group of wives and mothers in a highly publicized charge against sexist and misogynistic lyrics in rock music. Don't you struggle! Don't you fight! But as the hair metal era faded away and rock music seemed to clean up its act in the early 90s, a few very popular rap groups, most notably NWA from Los Angeles, pushed forward with lyrics that were incredibly violent and misogynistic. Yo, I tied her to the bed, I was thinking the worst, but yo, I had to let my niggas fuck her first, yeah, loaded up the 44, yo, then a straight smoke the hoe, cause I'm a real nigga, but I guess she figured I was soft, but she paid the call. As shocking as these lyrics are, it's important to understand that back then, songs like this were the exception, not the rule. In the late 80s and early 90s, there was a huge variety of hip-hop music available to consumers, made by men and women. There was jazzy hip-hop, political hip-hop, female empowerment hip-hop, goofy hip-hop, pop rap, classic hip-hop. And unlike N.W.A.'s music, all of these records were getting played on radio and TV all around the country. But there was a shift happening. <laughs> 
When it came to maximizing profits, lyrics about raping and murdering women were definitely a bridge too far. But lyrics that just showed women as one-dimensional objects, good for nothing besides sex, those songs did very well commercially. And it didn't happen overnight. It was a gradual process that didn't become fully apparent until the mid to late 90s. But sure enough, eventually all those different flavors of hip-hop that used to be on the TV and radio stations representing different neighborhoods and different cultures, they all gradually disappeared and coalesced into what we now call mainstream rap. I don't know what you heard about me Put a bitch can't get a dollar out of me No Cadillac, no perms you can't see Then I'm a motherfucking P.I.M.P. And in mainstream rap, the vast majority of lead artists were criminal-minded, hypersexual alpha males. Or at least that's how they portrayed themselves in the music. With very few exceptions, women were excluded entirely, unless they were being paraded as sexual trophies or being told to stay in their place. Get your whole out of pocket, I put a charge on the bitch. Cause I need four TVs and AMGs for the six. I'll make a pit rich. I ain't paying bitch, catch a date, suck a dick, shit, trick. I don't know what you heard about me. And music videos played a big role in this as well. MTV showed video after video of young women of color, barely clothed, often filmed below the neck, while a man or a group of men, also usually of color, commanded the spotlight. We doing now, it would be wrong to say that early hip-hop, back in the 70s, was completely devoid of misogyny or sexism. After all, the vast majority of DJs, MCs, promoters, artists, dancers, you name it, were men. But that kind of gender inequality existed in almost every other musical genre as well, and in American society as a whole. Whereas, the type of sexism that came to represent mainstream rap around the early 2000s was something totally different. So, how and why did it happen? Here's culture writer Ellen Chamberlain from a TED Talk at Wayne State University. So in its infancy, uh, hip-hop was underground. It was independent. You know, we were at the club, on the street, and maybe you might put together a mixtape and maybe it might get played. But the point was, was that the music was owned by the people who created it. 
Now, conversely, the radio stations, the, the urban radio stations that played this music were also owned by the people who inhabited those very communities that this music was affecting. Eventually, hip hop became a commodity. We lost ownership of the music. We lost ownership of radio stations. And when that happened, lyrical content completely changed. Remember that NWA song that I played earlier? The one with the particularly brutal and disturbing lyrics? Well, approximately 80% of NWA's audience came from white suburban neighborhoods. That is, not the neighborhoods that the music was claiming to represent. And there's an upside to this. As hip-hop got more popular and more profitable, this meant that people all around the country and all around the world were getting a peek at what was going on in poor urban neighborhoods in the wake of the crack epidemic and the disastrous war on drugs. But the downside is that it also helped create a false and damaging narrative about black culture in America. The same narrative that J. Cole is talking about when he says, baby, look at how they show us on the TV screen. Here's another clip from a documentary called Beyond Beats and Rhymes by filmmaker Byron Hurt. In this clip, Hurt is interviewing a pack of aspiring rappers that have gathered to get the attention of major record labels. Everywhere I go, and I've been shooting this documentary for like two years now, you know what I'm saying? And every time I have kids spiffing me, you know what I'm saying? It's all about the same thing. It's all about how you're going to kill somebody, how you're going to, you know, how you're going, how you're going to rape somebody. I could, I could walk up to you right now and say, yo, could have been a doctor. I could have been a pops. Wonder what would have happened had I would have been a cop. Would I help the block, protect the good from the bad, or just be killing niggas because the power on my badge? You know what I mean? That's, That's nice, but nobody want to hear that right now. They don't accept that. Who's they don't they? give us Who's deals. They? Who's the that? industry. They usually don't give us deals when we speak righteously and things of that nature. You know, they think we don't want to hear that. Because they don't, I mean, the media doesn't want to portray us or, I mean, minority people with, like, they don't want us, they don't want you to see that we good followers. They don't want you to see that we good businessmen. Exactly. We don't just sell drugs. I sold water last summer. Holla! Now, I should mention that things did start moving a little bit in the other direction during the mid to late 2000s, mostly thanks to the popularity of Kanye West. But make no mistake, the era of the alpha dog was far from over. For example... This song was the number one single in all of the United States from any genre in the year 2008. So now we have a pretty good idea of how hip-hop's perception of women changed leading up to the year 2009, when Lights, Please was released. But before we go back to the second verse, I want to play the very first four bars of the whole song one more time. Yeah. I had this little bad thing, something like them tens. She gave a nigga mad brain, something like the whiz. But to see the sad thing, fucking with her is, is the chick ain't even had brains, dummy like a bitch. So I tried to show her. That's right. J. Cole begins the song by calling his girlfriend first hot, then good in bed, and finally stupid. In other words, he's spelling out clear as day 
the most damaging stereotypes that we just spent the last 10 minutes talking about. But if we think of the woman as a metaphor for hip-hop, then we see another story begin to emerge. A story in which J. Cole is criticizing and trying to change not a beautiful and shallow woman, but a beautiful and shallow musical genre. And he's trying to make that change while also obeying the genre's own problematic rules and rituals. If you're not familiar with J. Cole, then this might sound like a bit of a stretch. But if you are familiar with his music, then you know that this is what he does best. So let's go back to the second verse once again and see what new information we can dig out. The woman in this story loves smoking weed. And as we've talked about in other episodes, hip-hop culture also loves weed. J. Cole, however, has said many times that he's not much of a smoker. Yeah, you know what? I never really was a big smoker. It's just, uh, you know, I just had a phase. Um, actually, maybe my towards the end of college or maybe after, it was like a low point in my life. I was super broke. So even now when I talk about it, I'm just talking. It's almost like 50 Cent, like 50 Cent got a song, um, Oh, nigga, I'm high all the time. I smoke that good shit. Uh, you know, he has that song, but 50 doesn't smoke from what I heard. You know what I'm saying? Or at least when he wrote that. So now when I talk about it in songs, it's really just to relate to, you know, the people that are listening who I know. So the first four bars of this verse could be about Cole feeling pressured to smoke, not by the woman, but by hip-hop culture in general. But she couldn't hear me I told her all about how we've been living a lie And that they love to see us all go to prison or die Like baby look at how they show us on the TV screen But all she ever want me to do is unzip a jeans In this new interpretation J. Cole is trying to educate hip-hop With the kind of knowledge and activism That could really make a difference in the world around him If he's able to change the perception of African Americans in the mainstream media, then he is able to make a positive change for his community. But hip-hop, like the woman in the story, has been notoriously resistant to this kind of social awareness. One reason, like we mentioned before, is the cultural disconnect between the people who own and control the music, the largely rich white businessmen, and the people who represent and listen to the music, largely working-class black people. But there's another reason that we haven't mentioned yet that may also play a role in this. Hip-hop, like rock and roll before it, is a culture based on youth and rebellion. It seeks to disrupt and create controversy, even if that means sensationalizing itself. After all, millions of white suburbanites may have never become hip-hop fans at all, were it not for songs with comically sexist lyrics like Bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks Bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks Lick on these nuts and suck the dick Get the fuck out of here So let's continue listening to see how the rest of this verse plays out 
with our new interpretation. But all she ever want me to do is unzip her jeans Then all I really want is for her to get on top Before you know it, she working, jerking it non-stop And all that next shit I was previously talking Is now that wet shit that I'm currently lost in Cole is comparing the physical experience of sex to the emotional experience of listening to hip-hop music. And just like how this beautiful woman distracts him from the problems facing his community, as we know around this time, most popular hip-hop songs were focused on money, alcohol, and sex, not on problems facing communities. Now that wet shit that I'm currently lost in And why that sweat drip I am reminded All the times my brother told me that pussy is blinded I'm finding the more I grow the more y'all seem to stay the same Don't even know the rules but yet y'all trying to play the game and ain't Now in that same Hard Knock TV interview Where J. Cole recounted the fan asking him about this song He also said this like A lot of my relationship songs I'm either talking to like the girl is a fan. I'm really talking to the fans when I'm talking to the girl, like premeditated murder. I'm talking to the fans. I'm talking about the game. You know what I mean? Like, listen to premeditated murder. When I'm talking to my girl, I'm talking to my girl, but I'm also talking to the fans. So when Cole shifts his attention away from the woman and towards an unnamed man, we might read that as him addressing his fans. Well, maybe not his fans specifically, but the hip-hop audience in general when he says, the more I grow, the more y'all seem to stay the same. Like I said earlier, hip-hop is a culture that celebrates youth and rebellion. So literally, even as J. Cole gets older, his audience will always represent a new generation of young people who are looking up to popular rappers for guidance and understanding. Don't even know the rules, but yet y'all trying to play the game and ain't it shameful how niggas blame hoes for giving birth to a baby that took two to make. Coward nigga, you a fake. How you gonna look in your son's face and turn your back? They gonna start another family, dog. What type of shit is that? So before, these lines seemed to suggest that J. Cole was just really high and going off on an angry tangent. But now, these lines seem to represent some very specific consequences of misogyny in hip-hop. I want to be very careful here because I don't think that J. Cole is suggesting that hip-hop is solely or even primarily responsible for absent fathers. But given his earlier line, look at how they show us on the TV screen. We have to understand that hip-hop is a major part of the mainstream media's narrative about black culture. A narrative that has spun out of control because, as we already explained, it's not, for the most part, controlled by black people. So, knowing all of this, what role does J. Cole think hip-hop should play when it comes to social justice issues? What responsibility does he think hip-hop has to the people that it represents? Let's listen on and find out. Turn your back, they gon' start another family, dog. What type of shit is that? She said it's okay. Rub my head and told me to relax. Lay the nigga down proper like she was recording tracks. Said I know you wanna change the world, but for the night, please. Just reach over and hit the lights, please. Lights, please, lights, please. And here we begin to understand the real central thesis of lights, please. J. Cole views hip-hop not as a shallow and selfish woman but more as a loving and caring wife or mother. He views hip-hop as a form of therapy, 
as something that gives his community strength and something that can actually turn the lights on, not off, when it comes to issues of racial and gender inequality. And I would argue that this even holds true for a lot of the more problematic songs in hip-hop. I played a lot of lyrics on this episode that were clearly sexist or misogynist. But what I didn't mention was that those songs were all written, produced, or recorded by people who are incredibly talented and respected in the world of hip-hop. And if we've learned anything from diving into this song today, it's that you can't understand a truly great work of art by only looking at one little piece of it. So now that we have this new perspective on the main message of Lights, Please, let's listen to the chorus one last time. And you might find that this time, it makes a little bit more sense. Change the world before the night, please. Just reach over and hit the lights, please. Lights, please. Lights, please. Turn off the lights. For now, everything just seems so right. And how you make the darkness seem so bright. I'm feeling like things gonna be alright. Lights, please. Lights, please. Turn off the lights. For now, everything just seems so right. And how you make the darkness seem so bright. I'm feeling like things gonna be alright. Lights, please. Anatomy of a Verse is created by me, Max Maples, in Brooklyn, New York. This episode is dedicated to one of hip-hop's OG potty mouths, Chris Wan, a.k.a. Fresh Kid Ice, from 2 Live Crew, who passed away in 2017. Next time, we're going to go way back to the first rap song to ever hit number one, Rapture by Blondie. Thanks for listening.